Can I ask you something, Hank? Okay. Are you trying to steal my woman? I beg your pardon? You heard me, Coltrane. Coltrane? What? Did you just call me Coltrane? No. You didn't? No. Okay. <clears throat> but if I did, you wouldn't be able to do anything about it, would you? You don't think so? No, I don't. Listen, Royal. If you think you can You want to talk some jive? I'll talk some jive. I'll talk some jive like you never heard. Oh, yeah? Right on! Welcome to Generation Lost, the show about movies. Movies. With Bryn and Jeremy. That's right. Doesn't take itself too seriously. Doesn't take itself too seriously. A little bit more seriously right now <laughs> than usual. As you just heard, there's something new going on. Something a little different. <laughs> a little bit more modern, if you will. Yeah. A series is beginning. Uh, this is the first episode of a series I'm calling the Twee Thousands, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, which is our two-month-long investigation of what we're calling kind of like a a micro-genre of yeah. what at the time would have been called like capital I indie movies, yes. I feel like is what we were calling them. I think our, our the long title was... Uh, early 2000s twee indie movies it was it was uh alternative adjacent vaguely twee early 2000s indie movies right um and actually i think that it probably will will help listeners understand this a little bit if we actually like go over the movies we're going to be covering through this project okay rather than like having them be surprises every week we'll just kind of like what we're trying to do basically is create a map that charts the course of the rise and fall of this micro genre right. from from its like earliest beginnings origin stories which is this week royal tenenbaums and we're going to do a couple more origins going through kind of its apex in you know garden state and then ending with juno but with and the a the sort denouement. of and and like a bit of a <laughs> postscript a little bit of like a you know one last sort of you know Hurrah. One last look at the body before we bury it sort of thing. <laughs> and so we're going to be watching the, the origins, what we're considering to be kind of like the pivotal early influences of the genre before the genre exists, which is Royal Tenenbaum's Ghost World and Lost in Translation. They yeah. are not part of the genre. They are they are kind of like proto-punk, I feel like. They are kind of like early early people who, when you look back in time, you're like they were doing it before it was it. I think that's i i think that lost in translation begins to coagulate mm. as something that's unique to coppola and like she definitely continues doing just what she was doing but it has the the aesthetics around the genre are so solidified at that point that she can't help but 
be a part of it, be of it. But I think you're right. Uh, they are differing levels of proto-punk yes. up to what is the absolute fucking Ramones of Garden Dark State. Garden State. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Ramones of indie movies. <laughs> Garden State. Of tweet, of uh, yeah, I would say Lost movie. in Translation, if we're going along with this sort of idea is is something like um like richard hell and the voidoids absolutely where it's like it's so close that it's like it, it, it is. basically is but we're not starting the tape yet <laughs> you know it's hard to it's hard at the time you wouldn't have been like oh this yeah but looking back looking it's back, like you're like it's this there's almost no differentiation and then like royal tenenbaums and ghost world are like uh are like david peel sort of things uh Anyway, so so World Tenenbaums, Ghost World, Lost in Translation are, are, are bringing <laughs> us into the genre. Then we have kind of like our peak days with Garden State and I Heard Huckabees and Elizabeth Town. Yes. Right? Those are kind of like peak days. This is when it's still, it's still like... It's mainstream. It's mainstream, but it's like got it's, a little bit of indie credibility still. So like you can still feel a little bit cool because you watched you're de- it. At the time, you're definitely cool for having the soundtrack or you're cool among a very specific uh, genre of people. Yes, 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 yes. It was like, oh, yeah. that and And this is also, of course, like with anything in this decade, as soon as it becomes cool among enough people, it becomes sour. Yes, it's it's one of those... It's like an element that can only be created in a lab. This is like where, if you're like, in if you college, look at it, it stops existing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You immediately bought the Garden State and uh, soundtrack, and then regretted it. Yes, and I'm looking at the years of this, and it's very funny. Elizabeth Town, 2005. Garden State is 2004. Elizabeth Town is 2005. And I remember in 2005 being in line in front of Webster Hall for a Mates of State show. And overhearing somebody behind me saying like, "Ugh, she loves the Garden State soundtrack," and being like, "I like the Garden State soundtrack. I guess I don't anymore." <laughs> you really heard someone say that? I heard somebody At like a fucking mates of state. Yeah, concert? somebody go like, "Ugh, she likes the Garden State soundtrack," and being like, "I guess that's not cool anymore. I guess I don't like the Garden State soundtrack anymore." <laughs> it's still good. I, I'm curious to revisit it that week. I haven't listened to it yet. I listened while I was making the the theme song you mm-hmm. just heard. I listened to some of it, especially that Frau Frau song, that Imogen Heap thing. The oh yeah, Let yeah, Go. yeah, still a banger. Uh, lots of really pretty stuff. I on did that actually record. listen to the Shins song not too long ago. The new slang, a uh, new slang, beautiful song, beautiful song, I can really still play nice it. production on it too. It's very yeah. lush. I can still play it on guitar. Nice, it's a good one. Um, so yeah, so Elizabeth Town, and then uh, we're coming into kind of like the the like true peak of the genre which is uh, little miss sunshine which is like yeah that's I mean, like in oscar my memory, attention yeah it, it, i think it was it was nominated for best picture i believe I think so yeah it might have even won it no it was no. not best picture um no it wasn't i don't think so uh i think it was uh because <laughs> it's 2006 i think that was uh the year of uh not crash, cra- not crash no. crash is 2005 uh it was the year the next year so it's um fuck the indian movie what is it called India? Oh, Slumdog Millionaire. Yeah. It was nominated for four, including Best Picture, and one Best Original Screenplay. Oh, okay. And yeah. Best Supporting Actor. In Steve Carell? Uh, Alan Arkin. Ooh. Uh, it was like, it's time to give it to him. Yeah. It was one of those, I think. <laughs> so so Little Miss Sunshine is kind of the the uh, the peak of the genre's like credibility. It's also when it has its most visibility, so it officially becomes over. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, and it definitely had a dang um, 
Sufi and Stevens song in the movie. Yes. Like <laughs> it's, I think it has um Chicago, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a high it's it's very much of the genre. Yes. And then as soon as that happens actually Lost in Translation was nominated too, but as we said, it's sort of proto. So, so then the following year is Juno, and this is what we're calling the end of the genre. This is when it officially is fully fucking uncool. <laughs> Nobody cares about it anymore. Juno, I remember from the jump, was like, people liked it, but people also were like, enough. It had, enough. A, it had a lot of backlash. And I think, I think... And oddly enough, not backlash to the fact that it was like a pro-life movie yes but rather backlash to like the hamburger phone and stuff and people being like enough kimia dawson are you kidding me <laughs> like could it be more could it be more yeah, could it be more twee indie and then finally we're gonna round the whole damn project out with what we're calling kind of like the the wake uh sure. of the genre that's the open casket scenario 2009's 500 days of summer yes uh where we're taking one last look before we put it in the ground additionally which i think is because it is a self-reflection on the actual genre mm-hmm. and hated for the same reasons yes it feels like it's very much a like a- an inspection and critique of the you know manic pixie dream girl which is something we're going to be coming across not this week yeah but going forward quite a bit yeah no if anything we have a manic pixie nightmare woman this (laughs) week (laughs) yeah not not she doesn't meet any of the criteria no uh additionally throughout this project i don't know how much we're really going to pick up on this but i do have like some auxiliary additional viewing for us to consider watching while you were listening to jeremy run down the list you probably were like what they're not doing x movie and the 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 chances are that we absolutely considered it um whatever you were thinking because we we've been talking about this for over a month now yeah um we aren't doing a full episode but it almost will certainly come up yes definitely will be coming up we're gonna try i mean who knows how much we're gonna do this we have limited time we're adults but um (laughs) you know we have some additional movies that we're gonna pepper in here and there when the year permits when like the the year makes sense and some of those i'll just there's too many of them so i'll just list a couple of them here we got the big ov- overlooked ones the here. big over, like we got like eternal sunshine is on here life aquatic is on here napoleon dynamite's on here me and you and everyone we know big is one. on here that's well, a big are, one we, we decided not to do that because we already covered miranda july on yeah. the show and because uh 2005 is elizabethtown which it unfortunately even though it's not what i would consider to be one of the important hallmarks of the genre it is where the term Manic Pixie Dream Girl is coined. Therefore, right. has to in. There's no good conscience version of this, <laughs> good faith version of this analysis that doesn't include Elizabeth Town, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, additionally, we have stuff like Thumbsucker, Squid and the Whale, uh, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Mm-hmm. You know, we got we got all these on here. When the year sinks up, when we have time to watch other movies, we'll try to add these in here as well. Yeah, and I mean, like some some of them just like don't personify something enough that we wanted to talk to, or we just like like we didn't have don't think there'll be enough to say about yeah, them. Yeah, or so. like the space that they occupy a lot of times is like redundant to other stuff that's that's more like exemplifying the thing. Like for example, Thumbsucker, I kind of put or not Thumbsucker, sorry, uh, Squid and the Whale. I put in this in a similar place to like little miss sunshine where it's like, this is where it's starting to gain like critical acclaim. And like people are really paying attention to these movies as being decent movies. 
And but but I mean it you know didn't get nominated for Academy yeah. Awards and, so therefore and there's a certain that that was the certain well we get, we'll get to it but that was sort of the when it felt like that's just how you made dramas now yes um so that's we'll get there um so I'm excited to get into it but yeah. before we get into it uh, we have to talk about what we watched this week and before I ask you what you watched this week I wanted to explain mine real quick sure because i'm not actually going to talk about a movie i'm gonna talk about trying to see a movie okay yesterday i wanted to go see nope okay nope is the new jordan peele film Mm -hmm. um we i I think we we both like him a lot yes um big fans of get out (laughs) yes we (laughs) like him uh I, i was a big fan of us even though I think I like Us even more than Get Out. I do too, yeah. I was a big fan of his movies, and so I've been anticipating Nope for quite a bit now. Um, so I, I was like, well, I got to go see it so I can talk about it on Gen Loss. Um, I was going to go alone, uh, but Chris was able to go with me, and uh, we went to the theater to go see it. Um, what theater? Williamsburg Theater. Um, Williamsburg not, Cinema. Williamsburg Cinema. I'm not trying to necessarily get you to not go there anymore but this Uh-oh. story isn't going to reflect big time on them. call out <laughs> uh so we watched the movie the movie starts and it is f- oh you got in it, it is filling about 70 percent of the screen there's a thick oh. black line i'm sorry wait so 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 you go to williamsburg yeah you buy your tickets i bought my tickets you bought them online you bought them yeah. ahead of time so you had them yeah you get there you get in because i was for sure i was thinking you were going to be like and i got there and they wouldn't let me in because i had like a snack in my bag or something like no, i don't know no, it's all normal so you got in you get in you get sit down yeah so you got good seats no we were in the back we actually had to sit in front of each other because because uh, it was like so packed mm-hmm. there's a thick back black line around it and i remember this movie's an imax yeah. This is a my movie that was partially shot in 65 millimeter and because I'm a huge nerd I know it's shot uh supposed to be projected if it's not in IMAX in uh 2.20 mm-hmm. aspect ratio. Sure. So I'm like, "Oh, they just didn't fill the screen." So but then I'm sitting there and I'm also as I'm like going to stand up and go like tell them to fix it because I'm this kind of person. Yeah. Cuz I'm that bitch. I'm th- I am that bitch. <laughs> uh i'm a <laughs> i'm a filmy um <laughs> I, I, listen i'm i'm a bit of a filmy i know how these things are supposed I, to go. I, well i also am trained in projection mm-hmm. like i was a projectionist. excuse me i'm trained in projection i was a projectionist for a couple of years and i care about this kind of stuff mm-hmm. but not only that i realize that it sounds like it's underwater mm. and they're half of the speakers in the theater aren't on great like there's no sound coming out of it it's just the speakers in the front and back of house can i interrupt you for just a moment i have literally always hated williamsburg cinema i think oh really i've never had a good experience there in my life see i've I've seen plenty of movies there because it's one of the only movie theaters to go to uh but i think it's complete dog shit for like for how new it is for how newly built it is and for like what a fucking bougie area it's in, it is unacceptably bad. It's it's just as bad as like the Park Slope one used to be, but it's like <laughs> I don't know if it's that bad. But it's brand new. <laughs> <laughs> that was Pavilion used to be pretty bad. Yeah. Um, but th- I've had middling to fine experiences there. Usually, I saw Get Out there, and it was mm-hmm. a great time, which is why I went back. I saw us there. 
Yeah, I think I might have too. Yeah. And it's always been like... That was, can I interrupt you again? Go ahead. Uh, I saw Us there and uh, it was my second time seeing... It. And, yeah, it was my second time seeing it. And um, I was very high. I was really, really high. And I ran into... Uh, this was when Raghav was, well, first of all, still alive, but also dating Kate Willett. Right. And I ran into the two of them. They were in there too. And we didn't realize each other were in the movie. I was really, really high. I was with my friends from school, <laughs> from like childhood. Okay. Uh, we're all way too high to like communicate with anybody. And Kate and Rog have come up. They're like, hey, guys, what'd you guys think of the movie? And I'm like, it was, it was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, I was wearing, you know, my dog shirt, the one with the blue shirt with a little uh-huh, dogs yeah. all over it. I was wearing that. And she's like, oh, that's such a cute shirt. That's such a nice spring look. And I was like, uh, and I like paused for like a really long time. <laughs> and I was like, thank you. And then we just like walked away. <laughs> and my friends like still roast me about this to this very day. <laughs> that she went, uh, thank you <laughs> yeah, yeah like if if like i ever like compliment something about one of the two of them they'll just like pause for like way too long and be like thank you and then walk away <laughs> oh man anyway continue okay. so so the picture's too small picture's too small and the audio is barely audible mm-hmm. um you're underwater so i go to i just i run out and i see a person walking by i was like hey could you just tell the projectionist to um check check the aspect ratio is too small and the audio is too low and she's like okay sure and then takes the elevator up i sit there for another 15 minutes watching the movie i can't understand anything anyone's saying and is nobody else no one seems to notice everybody is just like in their own little world just being like good (laughs) movie (laughs) (laughs) well it's like you can hear the dialogue if they're talking normally Mm. but so many people in the movie are like right right, because it's a spooky movie right Mm mm-hmm um and the beginning there isn't that much dialogue Mm. there's a lot of like visual stuff okay so i'm like watching the movie and i'm like is there a score to this movie is there no score and then like something scary happens if all the speakers are off you're missing stuff because it's it's the sound is made to come out of specific speakers speakers. exactly so you're missing all sorts of stuff (laughs) i know and so i'm i but i feel like i'm going crazy because no one else seems to notice yeah i lean over to chris i'm like what the hell is going on he's like what and i was like there's no music and he was like oh i just thought it was maybe supposed to be that way i was like no and chris (laughs) and and, uh, and are you fucking kidding i don't know what's going on and so i go outside and I'm like, can I talk to the manager? And the manager is a very kind, very patient, yeah. like 20 year old. Sure. Yeah. And she's like, and I was like, it's uh, it's explained to her. And she's like, um, well, I could turn it up. I was like, can you turn the speakers on? She's the speakers like, are off. She's There's like, no up, I was like, I was like, is there any way I can talk to the projectionist? And she <laughs> just levels with me. She's like, there isn't one. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, we don't have a projection. It's all automated. I was like, what do you mean automate? I, I, mean, I haven't been in this that industry in a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, you've got to have someone like press the button and turn on the things and the lights and stuff. But I guess they just have like... The like tic- who fixes it if it breaks? And exactly. I don't know. They don't have an answer. And so I'm just like, so I'm either watching this movie with no score or I'm leaving. So I sat and watched the movie. <laughs> And it was too small the whole time. It, it never changed. They didn't do anything. She literally, she was like, I don't want to make it. I don't know how I don't, I don't want to make it blurry. So I talked to her afterwards. I'm, f- I'm 
can't express to you how furious I was. <laughs> like I was so upset because I mean, why are you waiting for this movie a long yes. time? Even if you weren't, even if it was just a <laughs> ra- like, even if you were just going to see like you know fun with Dick and Jane or whatever, like some stupid bullshit. Still, you fucking paid for you. You got on the train. You went to Williamsburg, exactly. and not only you that, paid money to go into their theater where they have a big screen and big speakers. That's the whole point of going there. <laughs> you could just watch. This is why I watch shit I at know. home. I have a controlled environment. I can decide what it looks and sounds Jeremy, like. Jeremy, the the fucking. <laughs> Like it, I felt so depressed. Like I, I, because I had through the pandemic, I'm a big, I like to go out. I like to yeah. go be around people. The pandemic has sort of, you like changed. the nightlife. You I, like to boogie. I love to boogie. <laughs> it sort of changed that because it, there's this sort of like anxious wall I have to climb to get yeah. out and go somewhere. So when I do that to like escape the madness of like being in, you know, twenty. 22 or whatever Mm -hmm. i'm like let's go escape and like be there and this was just like oh the like the way the tendrils of capitalism is smothering everything i give a shit about and everything i use to escape just was just devastating to me yeah and i talked to this girl after and i was like what is what is like do you i was like you don't do you know anything about projection I'm not trying to talk down to you or anything, but like, do you know? She's like, she's like, all I know is that movies either come in scope or flat. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, this movie is not either of those. It's in different one. So you don't have the lens for it. And she was like, yeah, they told me it was something and the and the owner just said that that's how it was supposed to be. And I'm like, okay, well that's not true. She's <laughs> like, you should email them. So I sent them a, just a terribly long email. Uh-huh. Um, Did they write back? Not yet. This is this morning. Um, but the, the thing that... So I was pretty mad and very upset. I don't even want to talk about the movie because I feel like I haven't seen it. Yeah, you might as well have not seen it. Because it's really crazy. The movie is nuts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I, it's shot in, on IMAX. So they want you to go to an IMAX theater, right. which I could have done and I should have done. I'm kicking myself. Or maybe you should just go do I'm that. I'm going to do that this weekend. If you want to go, we should go. Ooh, but um, Maybe. Yeah. I don't have anything on the calendar this weekend. Maybe I'll go. It's pretty, it's fucking insane, this yeah. movie. What happens is so crazy. And and it looks cool. But the thing that made me even more mad, because I was like, maybe I'm overreacting. I kept, you know, I'm always doubting myself. Like, maybe I'm overreacting. I listened to the score on Spotify and Is I was it, like, it's like the sickest score you've ever heard. I was like, there's kalimbas in it. Oh, and there's like all this weird, like, come on. like Aaron <laughs> Copeland references. Cause come they're ranchers. I, was like, I, I showed it to Chris. I was like, do you recognize any of this? And he was like, no, it's like, we just didn't fucking hear. It's a fucking horror cowboy thriller i bet movie. there's like dialogue you missed. I know there's, there like, is. fucking like panned sound in, in <laughs> these things. Like, Get the fuck out of here. At That's the, insane. I'm just, I, I I can't express to you how, like, I was having an anxiety attack just getting more and more upset as I was watching the movie because they'd be, like, reacting to stuff that was silent. And I was like, son of a bitch. And you know, the worst part, you know that, like, people left that theater being like, good movie. Good mo- well, no, because some people were like, weird movie. Weird <laughs> choices. And it's like, people are just like, think that's normal. Like, yeah. And they're going to watch it on their, their televisions at home, like, later and be like, oh, weird. I don't remember it I wonder, like you ever, like, have you ever had, like, movies where you remember it different th- when you see it later and you're like, 
they must add like a theatrical cut or something that like something was different there like there's like always posts about like mandela effect shit around movies yeah in yeah the theater versus home release and i wonder how much of it now that you're saying this i wonder how much of it is just like theater error you know just yeah. like somebody like didn't plug in a speaker or something and you just missed some shit you or know whatever. one thing that happened when when movies were on film which was all through my childhood uh so people would just miss reels oh yeah so you used like, to get the cigarette burns and you used to actually have to change the reel yeah which is how i yeah did it so but sometimes people would fuck up and then you just miss 15 minutes of a movie that mm-hmm. was in the middle and you're like what's happening <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh so this was it was honestly the worst That's, that is a brutal awful experience and i'm gonna go ahead and say this is an official generation loss uh uh, uh position yeah boycott williamsburg theater Fuck williamsburg that place Cinema. sucks dick it's not even the best theater on that street there is a Nighthawk much is Nighthawk just is down, just down the block. Go see it at Nighthawk. I, went, I tried to go there and they were sold I out. I know. Well, that's so. the problem with Nighthawk is it's smaller and they waste a lot of space on those tables for the food. Right. Which I don't need. I just I want to need good it. Put product. more chairs in. Put Make the bar open till 2 a.m. Yes. Serve food all night. Absolutely. And make the movies bigger. Yes. Uh, yeah. I actually, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I got out of the movie theater and I was like, I just, I, I was so upset because it was like, you have all this retail space. You've, you've set up a cinema and you don't give a shit. Yeah. How, and I was just like, nobody cares at all about this thing that I like. So I was like, I'm just going to go to videology. Yeah. To just and have a drink. not even video. And I anymore. literally just cried. It's, it is. I st- it I is st- fucking <laughs> Edward Farrell's dumbass comedy club. I, I had that thought. And then I remembered that it was old man, whatever. Old man hustle. And I just cried on the sidewalk. B-K-L-Y-N <laughs> comedy club. I was so mad. That guy sucks so bad. Ed Farrell, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> so, Huge piece of shit. I had a rough night. Called I, a guy the N-word to his face <laughs> in a roast battle and thought that was going to like win the roast Ooh. battle. <laughs> cool guy. Yeah. So I had a rough night. I cried about movies and then I got a delicious pork bun. Nice. And uh, then I listened to the score and I was like, I'm seeing this on the Listen weekend. Listen to the bonus episode to learn more about that pork we'll bun. We'll talk about pork <laughs> buns on the bonus episode if you haven't listened to it yet. <laughs> Go to patreon.com slash generation loss. So that's what I watched. It was nope. It was good, And the experience, let me tell you, was also nope. <laughs> nope. I noped the fuck out. I, like it was Reddit. Um, so... I'll talk about Nope next week when I actually watch it for real. Mm. Uh, Until then, what did you watch this week? Thank you for asking. You're welcome. So this week I've been watching a lot of TV. Uh, Two series. One. can't fuck up TV. Can't fuck up TV. (laughs) It's in my house. Uh, (laughs) I control it. I control it. I know how it goes. Uh, (laughs) I watched uh, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel season four. That's the comedy one, right? It's the comedy one. It's about a woman being a comedian in the late 50s, early 60s. A comedian. A comedian. (laughs) uh, Trying to make it in the uh, the male-dominated industry of stand-up comedy in the late 50s, early 60s. Lenny Bruce is just dominating everyone. He's Lenny Bruce is a character in the show. Yeah. uh, And I've often felt very uncomfortable about his role in the show because he was a real guy a real living human person sure you know and 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 he's a character on their little show and and that's fine when he in the first two seasons when he's just kind of like a guy who shows up here and there to be like hey what's up everybody i'm lenny bruce and uh i'm here to be a stand-in for uh the idea of you know the the comedian as a as a profession and whatever and sure 
it's fine whatever you see like little iconic moments of him getting arrested and shit fine whatever but then later mm-hmm. on he becomes like a romantic interest uh, <laughs> for miss mazel yeah miss mazel fucks him a couple times and what uh, and, and and that's really weird i feel really weird about that imagine if at the end of inside lewin davis he fucks bob dylan <laughs> yeah exactly it's exactly like that and 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 in the fan community people are like People are like, I hope he ends up. I hope she ends up with Lenny Bruce. And you're like, Lenny Bruce <laughs> dies two years after this. <laughs> what is wrong with you people? I heard somebody say that they hope that this exists in an alternate timeline and that they create a version of this where Lenny Bruce doesn't die of a morphine overdose. <laughs> what the fuck? That man? is really weird. It's so weird what fandom, like online fandom communities, do. Uh, I don't like it, but I like the show. I think it's a good show. Even with this side Even with story. this weird thing. And Lenny Bruce actually is incredible this season. He has a great moment at the end of it. So Okay, so the story so far is that Miss Maisel is a comedian. She's very funny. She's very successful. She's becoming very successful. She's on her way up. Uh, she ends up working her way up to the point of uh, she meets a, a like a uh, famous singer guy named shy baldwin who has like a big band act he goes on world tours and whatever he's a big famous musician character right uh she's touring opening for him he loves her and uh she finds out in a like tearful confession moment that shy baldwin is secretly gay oh no uh and it's the 50s so it's really not cool uh and she's like i'll keep your secret for you don't worry oh he's a real guy is he really Mm. no i think you're just seeing the character oh i don't think he's a real guy anyway shy baldwin is gay she finds out she keeps a secret and then in a comedy show scenario kind of playfully hints at it on stage and uh shy baldwin fires her instantly uh she gets kicked off the tour and she gets kind of like blackballed from the industry for a little bit for for kind of almost outing shy baldwin well she he fires her for almost outing him she gets blackballed for just being seen as kind of a general nuisance and like getting fired from a big tour for mysterious reasons. You know, people are sure. like, okay, whatever it is, whatever you it's did. not good. We like shy Baldwin. Yeah. We don't like you. Not You're cool. out of here. So this well, season, very cool. Why'd you do that? Exactly. So this season starts with her kind of like back at the bottom, back clawing her way up. She finds like an illegal strip club basically. And she takes a job emceeing for them. Okay. Uh, and that's kind of her place this season. And she has this idea of like, what if I just, what if I just like build the scene around the strip club and like, that's my thing. And like, I just like build my own show here. And like, it's kind of starting to work a little bit. She's starting to develop a following there, but it's like never really going to get very far because all these industry guys keep going to her agents and being like, you know, where can I see her? And she's like, I can't tell you because it's an illegal place that technically doesn't exist. You know, <laughs> Uh, and so the end of the season like uh, she's burned her bridges with even like the little like clubs and stuff around the city well so it's like the idea is that she's like kind of burned her bridges but she can repair them but she chooses not to because she's still like mad about the shy baldwin thing she doesn't realize that she's done something wrong so she's like fuck this i'm building my own thing i'm not i'm tired of playing by other people's rules i'm doing my own thing i just want to say what i want to say and do what i want to do and that's going to be it and then the end of the season has lenny bruce uh headlining carnegie hall biggest show of his career uh and then he kind of like pulls her aside afterwards and he's like do you see all this like do you see how fucking cool this is 
you're never going to fucking do this if you keep doing this bullshit where you're like fucking playing a strip club that technically doesn't exist, you know? And she's like, oh, like, you know, you're Lenny Bruce. You say what you want to say. You do what you want to do. You did it on your own terms. And like, he has this really great monologue and it ends the season basically of him just being like, like, I am not the comedy messiah i'm not comedy god i'm not whatever fucking myth you've created for me in your head i know we've (laughs) fucked a couple of times but like i'm not who you think i am i'm just a guy who tells jokes this is great i love that i got to do this i wish i didn't get blackballed everywhere i wish that's not what it was like being me i really wish people just would let me play (laughs) (laughs) and he has this whole monologue about how it's like it's not cool to be arrested all the time. It's not cool to be like, he's not trying to be like the, the comedy truth teller Messiah guy. He just wants to be a comedian. And he's basically just telling her like, you got to cut this bullshit out, man. This is fucking stupid what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And, And it's just a really nice, it's a nice monologue about comedy in general and about like the myths that we build around like old characters from the past of like, you know, people like him and like Bill Hicks and George Carlin and whatever. And like, the way that we elevate them to this status beyond what they were, which is ultimately entertainers. That's all they ever are. You know, they're just, they're just dudes who like to say stuff and entertain people. Yeah. They're got, they're big accounts on Twitter basically. But like before that, but even like beyond that, like big accounts on Twitter, even like feel like sometimes they have like loftier ideas of what they're doing. You know, like ultimately (laughs) it's like, it's just guys who get off on hearing people laugh and that's all it is that they do but surely some comedians are like you know eating their own or smelling their own farts Mm. about it and being like i'm i'm a truth teller sure but they're never the ones that get elevated to that status louis ck i don't think so no i honestly don't because i think like i think that the truest moments of louis are like in the episodes of Louie where he's uh, taking over, where he's trying to take over for Letterman, the three episode thing with uh, where David Lynch is the yeah, guy uh-huh. who works at the network. Who's like mentoring him and whatever. And there's that, there's a really tense scene where he's like, make me laugh. And Louie's like, it's not, it doesn't really work that way. I can't really do it like on command like that. I need like a stage and a microphone and a setup and whatever. He's like, I'm sorry if you can't make me laugh, then this is fucking over. And it just like goes on and on and on, just beats him down and beats him down and beats him down until he finally does this like, the, like the dumbest thing where he's like, you know what I think? I think you're just a little pickle penis. <laughs> Like, just, like, the dumbest thing ever. And then, like, and David Lynch is just like, all right, I'll see you tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, but I think that that's the truest form of himself where he's, like, sure, he's trying to talk about bigger things. and, and, And he's trying to, like, comment on, you know, things that he finds important. But ultimately he just says like diarrhea you know like that's really what it is (laughs) i feel like there's gotta be somebody who's that big who thinks he's cool it's not just big it's like it's 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 the way that like the the myth is formed around the man right it's like the way that like oh yeah you mean like other comedians but like well other comedians and also just like people who look at comedy whatever like the the idea of these guys who are like seen as as like gods who like trailblazed and like you know just like uncompromising like did what they wanted to do no matter what anybody said like 
Louis didn't do what he wanted to do despite what anybody said. He he fucking ate shit for 20 years before he like got a really good deal to make his show and then from there was like, well now I don't have to listen to anybody anymore. <laughs> really? I thought I th- I remember like seeing a thing where he was like doing, you know, 10 mics a, a day and mm-hmm. shit and like doing really stupid like jerry seinfeld shit oh yeah when yeah, he yeah. was young in the 80s and then, yeah like, and then he like finally decided like well i'm just gonna do whatever i don't know and but then it's, was but, popular but there's yeah there's like a whole middle period there right because the 80s he's like a club comic you know very observ not even observational at that point he's just doing whatever like you know 80s shit fucking sleeve scrunched up shit he and then was, he was a sleeve scrunched <laughs> up guy and then throughout all the 90s he does this like absurd sort of like all of his jokes are like uh he has the one that's like uh uh he like bought a peach from a farm stand and he like saw somebody across the street and he goes to wave and he's holding the peach and the guy doesn't see him so now he's just a guy holding a peach in the air uh-huh. and he doesn't know what to do so he just goes i have a peach okay <laughs> and like that's like his that's his comedy in the 90s and like all through that time he's just eating shit and eating shit and eating shit until what is it like 2010 or whatever when he gets louie he gets the show and what like about lucky louie lucky louie wasn't a big success i know but um, how do you get that i mean that's part of the you know it's part of grinding is like you you do small shows that don't but make i mean it when his like comedy changed like he talked mm. about like when he did chewed up right like right before that was like he was like i don't i don't know i'm not gonna try to do any of that i'm just gonna get up there and talk right and then like i'm gonna challenge myself to do like one hour every year mm-hmm. And, like, that was when he, like, really started to get to, like, doing Louie. Yeah, absolutely. And but that felt like he was, like, I'm going to be my own guy. I don't know. Maybe well, he, Well, no, like, but, I mean, he's just talking about more personal stuff at that point. Like, true. when he becomes, like, his own guy, the way that people talk about Lenny Bruce and Bill Hicks, right, is, like... That's hilarious. It's, it's, it's Yeah, it's hilarious. It's after Louie premieres. It's when he's able to, like, release his specials on his own website. That's that's big fucking that's deal. what people mean when they talk about like he doesn't he doesn't play by the industry's rules. Yeah. He just releases it himself on his website and like makes the money that way. Mm-hmm. Like that's what people are talking about, you know, like and he didn't make it there until way late in of his course, career. Of course, no, yeah. Um anyway. Anyway, speaking of guys This is Maisel pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Speaking of guys who play by their own rules. Royal Tenenbaum, yes, <laughs> lived on a no. He, this move this week we're doing Royal Tenenbaum's uh, 2002 movie directed by Wes Anderson. 2001. Is, are you sure? Mm-hmm. Okay. 2001 movie directed by Wes Anderson. His third movie, and the one that sort of made his career. Yes. Um, f- took him from a from a stratus. Uh, the the level of being a critically adored little indie director to yeah. someone who could pull actors and uh, get a lot of attention. Yeah, this is his first one that has a lot of big actors in it because he had Rushmore has Bill Murray and Jason Schwartzman, and that's kind of it, right? Yeah, the woman I don't think did much even after that. Uh, I think Luke Wilson is in it, but Luke but Wilson, Luke Wilson is his was friend. his yeah, it's yeah. his roommate from college. Yeah, <laughs> uh, or no, Owen Wilson was his roommate in college. Luke Wilson is Owen Wilson's brother. Uh, That's correct. <laughs> um, so, so this but one this is has like, Danny Glover, Gene Hackman, Angelica Huston, Bill Murray, Gwyneth Paltrow, ben Stiller. ben Stiller, Luke Wilson, Owen Wilson. Crazy. 
big movie big cast big cast and then from here on out basically all of his movies are like this where it's like a million stars tripping over themselves to like be in the movie they'd love to be in the movie absolutely this one is funny because gene hackman uh was mad and thought this guy was a nutcase Mm. and tried to disown the movie interesting until it came out and everyone was like this is the best movie of his career and he was like oh i like it now <laughs> just kidding <laughs> uh no well because i think it was until he saw it basically mm. or until he saw it and people liked it that's so interesting um, gene hackman is so not a is he in any other wes anderson's no and the reason is is because he kind of burned the bridge right like, he was right, just right, like right. he was pretty hard to work with i hear and mm. he was just like fuck you he didn't want to do anything he didn't want to let- yeah, get Wes Anderson is a new director. I feel like he kind of went into it with this feeling like, oh, it'll be fun to work with him. And he was like, you're green and don't know anything. So I'm not even going to like listen to you. Anyway, this is Wes Anderson's big statement. Yes. Um, and it it is sort of the beginning of him finding his voice for real. Um bottle rocket feels like a different director yes um and rushmore rushmore feels wes anderson-y yes but a little i was surprised watching it this time how not wes anderson-y this feels sometimes and we'll get to that because i completely agree um but just quick overview this is a movie about a family of upper upper class people yep uh um, it's it's a family fathered, of Wes Anderson characters. Yes, fathered uh, <laughs> by fathered by Royal uh, Tenenbaum, Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman. He he leaves the family when they're young. He comes back when they're adults. There's three kids. Um, they're all geniuses. Yeah, Chaz uh, is Ben Stiller. Uh, Margot is Gwyneth Paltrow, and um, uh, Luke Wilson is what is his name? Uh, R- Richie. Richie. Uh, business acumen. Uh, playwright and tennis star in yeah. uh, co- respectively uh, and they grow up and they all have their own issues and mm-hmm. the movie is really just about royal sort of going broke and realizing you know trying to swindle his way back into the family and then sort of making amends and realizing he wasn't good uh, he's not a good person and yeah realizing really, realizing how bad of a how bad of a father he was uh how bad of a person he is and how much of a mistake he made leaving his family to begin with. Right. And it's kind of all about him trying to like make amends with them and find some way to initially to scam his way into the house because he's going broke, but then to scam his way back into their lives because he actually realizes that he loves and needs them. Right. And he, he lies about having stomach cancer and that's sort of the main swi- um, the main um, swindle mm-hmm. um they all think he has stomach cancer. Most people don't actually believe it. Yeah. Uh, especially Chaz, the one who's really bitter against him. Um, but Richie is sort of okay with it. He doesn't really care because he's sort of depressed about l- being in love with his adopted sister. Yeah. Um, and and also he seems like he's the warmest on Royal still. Yeah. Like he's the one who's most willing to forgive. He's the one who's most willing to take him in and whatever. He seems like, and, and generally he's like, he seems like he's, kind of the warmest one of them even though yeah, they're all extremely a- cold like <laughs> he's the one who's like you know when ben stiller is like uh like do you fucking hate me he's like no i love you yeah. like he, he kind really of like- he seems like he's trying to like bring everybody in closer 
which but is a funny, still not very close. Which is a funny choice because he's like the sports guy, mm-hmm. but he's like the one who got the closest to like hippiedom yeah. in the seventies or whatever. Uh, apparently, because he has this sort of like it's all love, man. Right. But he, it's very still very stilted. So and that's, then Owen Wilson is a friend of the family. Oh yeah, he's always wanted to be a Tenenbaum. He wanted the approval of the mom, Annette Bening. Uh, Oh, through this, Annette Benning is falling in love with um, Danny Glover. Yes. Um, and Royal's trying to come bec- between them, and that doesn't not working, and then yes. it doesn't work. Uh, and uh, then, I mean, just a little sub things is that Ben Stiller's uh, wife dies in a plane crash, so he's depressed about that and like what it's done to his family, and he's like kind of grown this bizarre obsession with safety, uh, and and is kind of like smothering his kids with it. And then Margot is in love with her adopted brother as well, but additionally just generally like depressed and aimless and not sure what she's doing in life. Yes. Uh, And uh, Richie is depressed because he's in love with his, he he's actually identified because it's, it it seems like Richie and Margot have always loved each other, but Margot hasn't been able to pinpoint it. And Richie has. Yeah. And so Richie knows what the problem is. Margot doesn't. Seven years ago, he had a meltdown on the tennis match uh, when she got married. Yeah. Uh, which seemed like it would have tipped her off. Uh, so it's like, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's like who, who would think that, you know? Right. Um, and he just like, hasn't really played any tennis. She's been depressed. Hasn't written a play in seven years. Yeah. Um, clearly doesn't love her husband bill murray uh raleigh st Clair, yeah um who is some sort of neurologist um everyone in this movie has written a book <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, which is shown to you on screen funnily enough in a way that he never does again which is like it's tiled yeah, he, yeah it's yeah, like yeah. he won in his head he was like well i want it to fill the whole screen so i guess i'll tile it all but then he never does that again mm. it's always just like on a table or something um, and so there are, those are all the main characters and, and Owen Wilson is the friend yeah. of the family and he's he's got some insane drug problem and he's like recently come into like fame and success but he can't handle it but he can't handle it so he's going crazy on drugs and he's also fucking Margot on the side yeah uh, and I think that's all of the main the main tendrils of the story mm-hmm. um, I first of all I love it oh I, I love it I really it's, love it I, I, I liked it more now than than even when I was a kid. Yeah, I was going to say, coming back to it now, I am now once again putting it at the top of my Wes list. No, I feel like no, no, I feel no, like this no, is no, the no. best Wes. Um, no, 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 no. It's unfucking <laughs> real. I what was crazy to me this time watching it. We'll come back to it not being as Wes like as we remember it. Yeah. But the thing that I was really like floored by is you can see everything everything that is culture for the next 22 years oh my god okay so this is what i'm gonna say when we talk about nothing looked like this before Uh and everything looks like this now so nothing doesn't look like royal tenenbaums now (laughs) when we put it first for this the the twee thousands Mm. um i was a a little bit like even because we talked about waking life Mm -hmm. and i really don't think that that that's very proto-punk. Yes. Like, that's very, like... That's very, Waking like, Life is exclusively because of the, like, the lion style, the animation style. Yeah, yeah. And, and 
Wiley as a character, the the main character guy, as the kind of like aloof, dead eyed, dead eyed man with long black hair parted that he tucks behind Absolutely. an ear. That's an extremely <laughs> important visual. Absolutely, but, <laughs> but even, this, even this at the time when we first, I was still like, is it really kind of is it too proto? Watching it it feels not even prone to like this is this is the genesis yes of everything and and what was so interesting and one of the things i really wanted to point out was uh the flat affect mm. that became so uh synonymous with this whole micro genre that we're right. talking about it's funny i never realized is because they're high class yes it's because they are like sort of emotionless alienated people mm mm-hmm which doesn't translate to why it happens in garden state or why right. it happens in, uh, or in the rest of Wes Anderson's movies, Nick and Nora. Mm-hmm. Well, I think Wes Anderson kind of does it pretty masterfully in that a lot of characters don't actually talk like that, but it's surrounded by this artifice that you sort of don't notice or something. It's weird right. because like, I think in Grand Budapest Hotel, the main character of that movie, the bellhop, is very flamboyant and doesn't talk like that at all. But oh, sure, he's yeah, surrounded yeah. by class, high class individuals who are very, you know, spaced out and alienated. Um, he doesn't rely on that, but he invented it. Not invented it, but he put it in front of the screen so hard, and people were like, people wanted to be the Tenenbaum. Right. That's what he, he created this thing that people wanted to experience this little world that he made. Um, that is just, you're right. It just, it, it became culture. Yeah. And, and, and going even beyond this micro genre, because you can see everything that becomes this micro genre in this film. But additionally, I, I would posit that every part of culture for even today, <laughs> like still is touched by this movie. Like, just going going through it, I'm like thinking about stuff before 2001. Like, how much of fashion still looks like stuff in Royal Tenenbaums? How sure. much of graphic design still looks like stuff in Royal oh, Tenenbaums? Yeah. How much of interior design still looks like stuff in Royal Tenenbaums? All of this stuff that just like explodes out of this movie like a fucking like a supernova. Like yeah, a, it's the like big the, bang. It's like yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like the birth of a star. It's like watching. It's like watching culture just of the 2000s even still like just coming out of this one singular point it's yeah. crazy how yeah. influential this movie it's, is and it doesn't get that credit at all no and i think even <laughs> now it's sort of i mean the, the problem with wes the, the sad thing about wes anderson is that i don't know if there's a more important more talented filmmaker mm-hmm. in history who is this maligned and like this disrespected constantly. Yes. Like mm. he's, he's so important and so influential and so inventive. Yeah. Um, like it would be like if everyone, like it would be like if 70% of critics had the opinion of Quentin Tarantino that I have. Right. Which is that he's just a thief. He has made like two good movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't really have a perspective or anything. He's just a he's just an aesthetic 
or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, that is so insanely untrue of Wes Anderson that it And I was going to say, too, like, <laughs> like the, the influence beyond film is really critical here, where, like, Quentin Tarantino maybe influenced a lot of films. And, yeah. and, and there was a big part of the 90s where stuff was aping the Tarantino style big time. Sure. And, like, there's shit that you can very clearly trace, right? And we I, just watched I'm, one of them pretty recently. Lockstock is very much of that uh-huh. genre. And I'm, and I'm over-exaggerating my negative on oh, sure. Tarantino. But, I, but whatever. I mean, it's like, it, but, it, but it would be as though like a mainstream style of person was wearing like the, you know, the yellow leather jacket and the pussy wagon fucking keychain or whatever. Like, <laughs> or like the, uh, the Uma Thurman, like pants suit all yeah, the time or whatever. like nothing, nothing from any other filmmaker influences like broader culture the way that Wes Anderson has been able to No, and everyone tries to deny that it's true and it's so bizarre because it's everyone's just ashamed of how much they care about this Mm -hmm. stuff Um, because I think this movie is immensely fascinating because it comes out the year 9-11 happens Mm -hmm. um and it's set in New York. Yeah. But it's set in a dream of New York. Yeah, it feels... I don't know that it's set in New York. It is. It's because there's... I mean, well, it is in New York, but yeah. I don't know that they ever explicitly state that it's New York. And they specifically like add these weird surreal elements to it that I feel are intentionally trying to make you feel as though it's not New York. The one right? I really like, noticed was the 300... 305th Street Y <laughs> is a big one. Um, 375th Street Y. There's like... Um, but I, I also think that like like there are exterior shots that I think are not filmed in New York or that are not filmed in even the United States, perhaps really like there's like when they're on their roof, I don't think that's the same house. Mm. Uh, I think that they're filming that somewhere else because the buildings around them don't look like New York at all. They look like Belgium. Interesting. Um, I Think, but I don't know. I, I, I didn't really think look it into was, it. No, yeah, I, I'm looking it up. But I think that it was mostly shot in New York City. Uh, but it says that uh, they I, I avoided sites that would identify it, mm-hmm. even altering the street signs. Um, and it's in Hamilton Heights in Harlem. Um, but they want. He, he basically was like, he wanted it to be in New York, mm-hmm. but like not a real one like like his like an idea of what you wish new york was yeah Um, and and it's a it's a side of new york that you don't really see a lot in film where like i feel like a lot of the emphasis of new york's character as filmed is like the tall bulky middle right you don't see a lot of these like loving views of short buildings you know like there's not a lot of height in this bill uh, in this movie. It's all in the background. Tall buildings are always in the background. There's no like, there's no like Canyon of, of skyscrapers that were like soaring through or anything like that. Like I always think of like Woody Allen's Manhattan is kind of like the perfect, you know, that's like, that's what, yeah, that's, that's the gold standard of how you film New York. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, is like, you are, but a, you are, but an ant among gods, like looking <laughs> up upon them and, and and this is a movie that's like everything is at eye level. You're in a neighborhood where nothing is over five stories. Right. I mean, the house itself is three stories. Mm-hmm. So it's it's weird. Um, or maybe four. I think it's four, yeah. Um, plus the roof. Um, but yeah, it, he, he had... And this is the thing that's so 
interesting is like by doing that, like I've always wondered about him because like uh, in Grand in Grand Budapest, the Nazis are in it, mm-hmm. but like they're not the Nazis. They're some other thing. Yeah, uh, that happens in the French Dispatch too. There's a story where it's like clear fascists right. happen, or like oh, it's the Paris uprising or whatever. But he changes it. And it, it's interesting to go back and watch this and be like, I didn't really realize that it wasn't real New York because I'd never lived there. Right. Uh, and he'd only lived here for th- two or three years. Um, so he didn't really know exactly. He knew he was making stuff up. But I think it gives it this weird like storybook mm-hmm. kind of idea. Like it's a, Definitely. Fa- a fairy tale um, where he's not trying to... Or it's not New York. It's just it's it's a New York like city. I like that better, honestly. I prefer that, like the idea of of kind of just like getting kind of like the colors and the textures of a place right, but not. I don't know. It it, it feels like sometimes like you make your shit less evergreen when you specifically tie it to a place. Yes, absolutely. And he he's so aware of everything he's doing that he's like, well. I don't want to put it in a place where the people who live in New York will have a different experience from people who don't mm-hmm. like this is for the, it's not specifically for anybody. I'm not ever winking at like the people who are in the know. Like he's trying to create this thing that is like about aesthetic. Yeah. You know what? I I'm with you. This is like, it's the in the know thing is such a big part of it, right? Because so much of when you're not doing like the big Woody Allen, you know, gods of buildings view of New York, you're doing like the, you're doing the thing where you're like, I'm a cool person who knows about the cool things in New York. Yeah. Like he's not interested. He's not interested in that. There's no, there's no place and there's no like store or something. There's no like bar that like, you know about whatever, like, it's all just made up. <laughs> but he's trying to give the viewer the experience that he feels when yeah. he like went to the Waldorf story and was like, wow, it looks amazing. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, it, just showing you that isn't going to be the same. So he has right. to make something even heightened. Um, and it's amazing. It's such, it's so smart. Yeah. Um, aesthetically just leaps and bounds other filmmakers of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know in a certain way kind of lucky because everyone's concept of the new york at the time this movie comes out is a big gaping hole in the ground Mm. (laughs) yeah is it what month does it come out that's the that's the real question interesting but it doesn't change it doesn't change with 9-11 people are october god damn that's crazy you're a month you're october 5th you're a month after 9 11 yeah. and you're like isn't new york magic isn't it so beautiful <laughs> it's like a dream wow dude and he didn't even no one was like oh too soon because it's not really it's not new really york. new york but also like and that's a, that's a bit of luck that he had but wow for being able to 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 do something so strange that i can't even really think of an example of somebody doing that where it's like i'm gonna specifically create an aesthetic version of a city that isn't that Mm -hmm. it's like it happens sometimes but yeah he does it to such an extent i mean you know where it's very prevalent the city skylines community that's the that's a big (laughs) thing yeah you do that um that's what everybody does 
Right. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. We're not here to talk about City Skylines. <laughs> it won't come out for another 15 years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I... I I was fascinated by this. I really, 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 really enjoyed it this time. I definitely put it at the top of my list now. Um, I I love how fucking sad it is. I love that yeah. it's like somehow you make like the cutest little beautiful movie about like everybody being sad and everybody like wanting to kill themselves and like i was thinking about you have a literal suicide scene in your movie and people still are like he's a bit twee for me i know (laughs) and i remember having that conversation when i was in high school i was like watch this scene like tell me he's like a fucking like urban outfitters wannabe like yeah like and like when you watch the needle in the hay f- scene, it's like it's brutal. It's br- it's one of the most upsetting like suicide scenes in a movie. Yeah, like not a Wes Anderson movie, just in general, it's tough to watch that scene. And it's like it's f- people, it's undercut by the immediate aftermath being one of the funnier scenes in the movie where Ben Stiller's like, did you write a note? Can I see it? Yeah. yeah and yeah. he's like, I don't think so. Is it? Yeah. What does he say? Like, is it, um, he's like, is it dark? Is it dark? <laughs> well, it's a suicide. <laughs> <note>. <laughs> and the comedy is so sharp and yeah. funny that people, I don't think people, I think the American culture of 20, to the, uh, 2001 was like unable to digest this mm-hmm. as like, seeing something earnestly and sincerely upsetting immediately undercut by something earnestly, sincerely funny. Mm. And they just didn't know how to process it. And in any other way is like, Oh, this is one of those removed movies. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just not really true. It's, I, it's very, it's a very emotional movie. Yeah. Like it's very it's everything is felt, everything is meant to be felt. You know, there's nothing mm-hmm. it's it's interesting because I feel like such a hallmark of his style going forward is sort of like this like the detached person voice style, I feel like a lot of the time gives his films a bit more of a like emotional middle sort of feeling. Like they all uh-huh. have, they all have a lot of heart, and I won't say that he's, you know, whatever. Like, but I feel like this is the only one that I can. That I mean, I haven't seen them all that recently, but it's the only one where like it's constantly emotional. It's constantly feeling things. Mm. Everything in this is like, it's it's always either like it's even when it's not sad, you know, like the scene where. Uh, Royal takes his grandkids out for like a, a day just like fucking around in the city and whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's like so fun and so like it, it, it like you feel so much love in that scene between Gene Hackman and the boys and like you feel him you know becoming like a becoming actually like a grandfather to them for the first time in his life. You can yeah. feel that happening and he doesn't really do that again. He doesn't get that level again. He gets emotion. He's not like yeah, for he's sure. He's not like a dead, you know, whatever. Like, but like you know, thing of like the French Dispatch, for example. Like, there's nothing like that in the French Dispatch. I think there is that in Grand Budapest, though. There is that in Grand Budapest, and, and there is a bit of that in Life Aquatic. I still think that to me, it's Grand Budapest, then maybe Life Aquatic, and then maybe this or mm-hmm. sw- or swapped. But 
to me, I think he just like has gone aesthetically on an uphill like incline of perfecting it Mm -hmm. because like we haven't really even talked about it, but like there's a lot of stuff that feels very not Wes Henderson in this movie. Um, Specifically, the first thing I noticed was the first really funny one I noticed was at the very beginning of the movie, there's a shot of the stairway Mm -hmm. and then like a diagonal pan to the mother on the phone and Chaz comes and says, I need $187. And she says, write yourself a check. Yeah. That is shot with a fisheye lens. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Wide lenses in and this. And it like moves weird because, and I feel like it's because the DP didn't, couldn't exactly figure out how to do what Wes Anderson wanted. Yeah. Like Wes Anderson wants it to look like what it ends up looking at, which is like it's drawn. Mm-hmm. And the DP is like, uh, that's not possible uh, without, you know, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing, actually. Um, But it's interesting how, like, the edges are so visible where you can see, like, the top of the stairs and then it disappears and then it, like, sort of warps and then it's not, like, perfect, you know? So there's a lot of, like, imperfections in this movie that don't exist later on. Yeah, he doesn't use a lot of, like, he uses wider lenses than he normally does a lot in this movie. There's a lot of scenes like that. And, and... I was thinking about it. There's a lot more like kinetic sort of like, there's more handheld in this. There's like, uh-huh. s- there's scenes that are handheld and you're like, that's not Wes. Yeah. Yeah. Who is this guy? When he like, when the, the only other time I think he does that is in uh, life aquatic. When, uh, when the search and destroy scene. comes yeah. up <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, he never holds a camera again. <laughs> the rest of his career, it's on a tripod. It's fun when he does it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know if he does. Um, and the, he does it a lot in this. There's a few times. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the whole grandpa scene mm-hmm. you're talking about. Um, there's also... Um, when Ben Stiller chases Owen Wilson into the backyard. In the suicide scene, uh, when he turns on the light, it's at an angle. Mm-hmm. It like it it's, it's like a different movie all of a sudden. And they do the little like flashes of him back and forth from having the beard and not having the beard. Yeah, it feels yeah. really strange. Different guy different director i like it i like it a lot i like seeing him like add a couple more textures in there i know you can do your thing Uh you know what i mean like you don't have to prove it to me anymore like i know ultimately i feel like he's a hedonist in some ways where it's like (laughs) what he's really all about is just what he wants to do yeah and like what he wants to do is those goddamn shots right and he doesn't in the same way that he doesn't have to prove to me that he knows how to do, you know, his shit. It's like, he doesn't got to prove anything to anybody anymore. He's made a lot of fantastic films. He, he knows more than like the critics do, like what he's done to culture. He knows he, he can look at world Town and be like, mm, I know what I did. Yeah. I, I know what did. I did to the world. He walked, he probably walked around. Fucking... I, I'm, I'm the stallion that mounts the world. <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> he probably walked around Manhattan, the lower East side for a decade and was just like, yep, I'm, that's why you're wearing that. Yeah. It's my, it's me. Yeah. That sign on your restaurant. I made that. Yeah. Like <laughs> you're the, copying me. You wouldn't have that wallpaper. You wouldn't that have wallpaper that wallpaper wouldn't exist. The entire business of anthropology wouldn't exist. Not, that's me. That's me. And you want, you want to call me urban outfitters? Go fuck yourself. I'm anthropology. <laughs> I am anthropology. I made it. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. It's really, it's astounding. Yeah. Um, we're pouring a lot of sugar on this movie. Um, let's say some stuff we didn't like about it. Is there something you didn't like about it? Uh, 
I I I don't. Let's say. Let's see. I, I don't think that the 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 book transition thing. I don't give a shit about that. I oh didn't, yeah. Like uh, it didn't do anything for me. I, Jeremy's uh, talking about the fact that there's chapters there's and they chapters start the with like uh, a little drawing and a book that yeah, like, like says a page what's of the book happen. that says what's about to happen. I don't really care for that. It didn't really do anything for me. I don't like. Is it supposed to be the Royal Ten of Albums? Is a book that one of them wrote? I don't know. But then at the end, Margot has a play that's about it. So it's like. Is this the play? Why but it's not a play. play yeah. Like, why? Why wouldn't you show me a play then? Yeah, that's a little like cutesy, like winky, and it feels a little out of place. Um, I don't know if I love the the Margot Richie story. Like, I don't think they need to be in yeah, love. I don't know what that does, but at the same time, it's like, what is like so much of what happens revolves around it that I don't know what the movie is without it. Yeah. It's true. I if just, anything, I think the Margot Bill. I think Bill Murray is fairly, you know, supplemental. Like he doesn't really <laughs> have much to, much to do with the story at all. Like, yeah, she could have just been dating Owen Wilson. That could have worked, you know. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know why she wasn't. But similarly, Owen Wilson kind of seems also like he's a little bit auxiliary here. Like I, it, well, but I feel like even the you could have had the Richie and uh Margot storyline with owen wilson like mm-hmm. she's like that's what i mean is like if she was married to owen wilson that's fine mm-hmm. uh if she was falling in love with owen wilson the guy from the boy from across the street or whatever would just have yeah. the same flavor because even though owen wilson doesn't impact the plot very much like his character is so important because he literally represents all of american culture <laughs> where he's like he's like i just want to be a tenant bow yeah yeah <laughs> I, I feel I'm like a, I'm a cowboy and I want to be a Tenenbaum. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I don't understand why it needed to be like kind of a weird incest thing. Mm-hmm. Seems like a lot of that was going on around that time with like uh, the dreamers yeah. and this movie. Yeah. Um, I think that like I get it. Cause it's like, you need some reason. Like again, it's like, it's, it's hard to imagine the movie without it because of how much of it revolves around it. Like how much of the motivations of both of those characters are so tied it up. It definitely in doesn't that. ruin the movie, but like, it's I, just a weird choice. It's a weird choice. I get it though. Cause it's like, you need it to be forbidden, whatever it is. Like it can't be something that they can attain, you know? Right. Cause it's like, that's what it is, right? It's the reason why, like, cause if you're in love with somebody and they're married to somebody else, you just move on. But it's like, it's this thing that's always been there, but they can't do anything about it because it's not allowed. And, you know, that's why Margot isn't able to see it at first because she, you know, she's been told her whole life, like, there's rules. You can't fuck your brother, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's like, they try to get out of it because she's adopted. And it's right. like, it's still weird. It's still the same. Uh, it's <laughs> even though it's like, you guys weren't going to have kids anyway. So like, right. who are you fucking kidding? It, like, that's not why it's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also don't like how Danny Glover doesn't make uh Royal apologize for being very racist. Mm. Um, that's interesting too, because I remember when I rewatched uh Life Aquatic, I was surprised how much like homophobic stuff is in it with uh Zisu making fun of Jeff Goldblum's character. Oh, yeah, uh, calls him all sorts of things, and uh, he's bisexual, and that's a joke, and whatever. And it's not like I'm not saying like Wes Anderson is like canceled or whatever no. <laughs> for god's sake but like 
I, I was I was intrigued by it because I was like I forgot how how he like pushes the edge sometimes <laughs> like yeah it, again it's like in in your cutesy twee little movie like you have a suicide and you have a plot where Royal is like calling <laughs> Danny Glover like jive turkey and stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's like I'm surprised he doesn't just punch I thought I was like oh he definitely punches him yeah he doesn't punch him and punch him he's so upstanding um I thought that was weird that he's mm. just like. It's like, I don't think you're an asshole. I think you're a son of a bitch. And it's yeah. like, okay, I guess. I don't know what that means. Uh, felt a little mishandled. Um, mm-hmm. Shocking that Wes Anderson might not have the best handle on race in 2001. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I think there's some, there's a couple of little weird. I think he's still finding exactly how he wants to do what he does, but it it it's a giant leap. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's just interesting I think the movie ends up being one of the most interesting movies because of how rough around the edges this perfect thing is. Yeah. Like he, how much it like it, it from Rushmore to this. Yes. is like huge glow up. Yeah. Huge, huge glow up. But additionally, like how rough around the edges it is and how much that doesn't end up mattering because like mm-hmm. he's able to like, I'm trying to think of like a, a metaphor for it, but it's like, it's, it, it's like the fucking it's, it's, it's like cool runnings put, carrying the fucking uh bobsled across the finish line it's like it's like it doesn't matter how rough around the edges it is because there's so much crammed into it <laughs> that like you just can't even see the edges anymore like it's it's just all there I'm like i think there's like there's some artist that i always think of a musician mm-hmm. who like their first album they're like kind of toying with it and then their second album is like they just invent their entire sound for the rest of their yeah like and neutral milk hotel would be a good example that's of that. true yeah um uh, which uh, is also a very good uh <laughs> a very good soundtrack addition for for twee indie uh alternative month yep uh Two nirvana months. is like that mm. um uh yeah their first album kind of fucking sucks bleach is cool but it's sort of just like a garage punk album and yeah. then nirvana and then Nevermind is like whoa it's like the most iconic you album changed possibly the ever world. made yeah, yeah so it sort of it feels like that it's kind of like nirvana yeah you're right where it's, it's just like he does a s- indie movie that feels like sort of has a personality. Mm-hmm. Bottle Rocket isn't very good. Like it's an yeah. okay movie. And then Rushmore is like, oh, you are onto something. And then it's like, he just rushes up the stairs yeah. and gets to the top floor. And it's just like, oh, wow. You, <laughs> you figured it out. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, great movie in, in the light of what we're talking about though incredibly important yeah every movie that we talk about from here on is going to have references to this movie whether they know it or not Mm -hmm. absolutely and and like so much of like the 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 reason why we initially put this on the list before we even started talking about the aesthetics and whatever is margot tenenbaum specifically yeah is the archetype of indie women of the early 20s she's she's Lee's in a in a in an encapsulation it she is it and and she's not the archetype for women in these movies however because women in these movies going forward become really more about male fantasy but she embodies what every woman of that era like 
young woman, I should say, of that era, like wanted to be like and saw themselves like specifically. Like whether or not you wanted to be like her, you saw yourself like her. You were like, I'm fucking mysterious. Nobody fucking knows me. It's so cool when I hook up with random guys on the bus. Yeah. It's it's like Wes Anderson when I fuck guys. (laughs) For real. Like it's a very like, oh, I'm writing and I'm like people love me but i'm not i have a typewriter and a fur coat and i fuck guys and i smoke cigarettes and nobody knows me (laughs) yeah it's a very teenage sort of feeling Mm -hmm. um she's like an incap i think what's so special about margot we just we don't see her in movies this big yeah like ghost world which we'll see later like that kind of character this sort of like aimless woman who's sort of like not defined by the men around her. Right. Just doesn't really get much screen time. She was like a bolt out of the blue. Um, and uh, yeah, so she's really important and becomes this aesthetic archetype too. Um, what was that? I wanted to say one more thing about that. Um, I, uh, the family dynamic around things is sort of interesting because there's, Little Miss Sunshine, Squid and the Whale, like there's also this thing that happens that there is dysfunction and alienation even among your family is yes. a big uh is a big theme in these movies. I mean, it's usually about one usually one guy who f- is experiencing that because mm. but that's just sort of how movies are written it's like through the lens of the director or the auteur or whatever yeah it's interesting this is a really it's a very ensemble driven mm-hmm. story and and like there isn't a main guy in this i guess royal kind of is the main guy but not really because mm-hmm. you don't see the family through his eyes necessarily and i you know other of these some of these movies attempt to do it like i said little miss sunshine and squid and the whale specifically mm-hmm. um but garden state is very much uh i feel alienated from everyone around me including my family because of something yes and there's this like unspoken something mm-hmm. um in it's all 9-11 of- <laughs> it's it, i'm not even kidding it's, yeah, no. i my my feeling going into this and something that i feel like either will be proven or disproven by this project is what I think this aesthetic, what this micro genre is all about is like the Gen X response to the nineties ending and nine 11 happening at the same time. Yeah. Well, it's also, it's mostly Gen X because millennials are the people who are consuming this, but the people who are creating this are Gen Xers. And what you're seeing is like the end of like, you know, cause like the nineties is all about the, the late nineties is all about like, I have this job, I have this comfort, but is this really all there was? Is this like after all of that work, after all that toil, after all that struggle, is this really all there was at the end of it all? Is it just I go to work until I die and that's all there is? And then the 90s ends, that economic prosperity ends, 9-11 happens and we're pulled into like very, very, very rapidly and violently pulled into a completely new situation. Yeah. And, in America, yeah. And 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 what I think these movies are all about is like the Gen X sort of like hangover of end of history stuff and like all of that nihilism that you had at the end of the 90s now being channeled into a new place where you're like, well, fuck, it's still the end of history maybe, but also now history has happened again. So how do I respond to it? And it's turning that nihilism sort of into a more like existentialism into a more yeah, like, think... like everything is kind of maybe connected, but maybe <laughs> also 
not. It's really interesting because one thing, I think the through line to this is that all of these movies in the strangest way, and this is a theory that we probably won't get to for another month or so, Mm -hmm. but like they're kind of all about class by people who don't know what that is yes, and don't know why they're experiencing an unhappiness and an alienation when they have everything. Mm -hmm. And like you're saying, there's just like, there isn't anything, but everything is new. I think the thing about like the nineties of being a white teenager or Gen Xer in the nineties was it was like, I'm still hanging out with my friends. Right. And it's like, there was sort of this far off, at least culturally like far off existential crisis where it was like, well, what will my life mean? And you could always go back to being like, we're still at the stop and we're having fun. You right. know, like we're still hanging out and being into grunge or whatever. But like after 9-11 happens, it's like right now I'm feeling sad and I'm feeling like powerless and I'm feeling like I can't affect anything and I can't make connections. Mm-hmm. And so there's this, there's this like, um, uh, like l- legend created around the concept of making a connection with somebody. Mm. This movie romanticizes the concept of being a friend. Yeah. And having one <laughs> and feeling like you can have a relationship with somebody. Um, and that is all anybody wanted. Um, and I think in a way, maybe why they're maligned because it feels like almost childish. Right. Um, but at the time, felt really important to people to be like, you can have a life that includes like some form of community with somebody. Um, this movie is very positive in that it's like, you can, you can like talk to your family and like, you can have a relationship with them. Yeah. And I think they get less and less positive about that as the decade goes on. Yeah, maybe I think, I don't know. I don't know. I think that Juno for sure is is negative on that point. <laughs> uh, I don't remember 500 Days of Summer or... But, I mean, I Heart Huckabees is like really, it's really, really, really about, about that. that. <laughs> it's really about that. And Garden State Did is too. Did we mention I Heart Huckabees? I think, I, I mean, that's on the list. I know. It? I don't know if you actually said it in the list, but we're going to cover I Heart Huckabees. Yeah, that's, I feel like that's like that might be like the most important like drill down of the philosophy of this style. Uh, yeah, for sure. But garden state is very much about that as well. And, uh, little miss sunshine is very much about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember literally anything about Elizabeth. <laughs> I've never seen it. That's the one I haven't seen. I so. saw it in theaters. I remember that he's, uh, spreading his father's ashes or something like that. See, but it's always about something really tragic or something where you can't feel you can't feel something you feel like you're supposed to even be able to feel. Yeah. Um, that all of the, if there's a through line here, it's like immense alienation for something that you don't, that should be momentous or, or, mm. or like tragic in your life. Um, and yeah, people are just don't even know how to like deal with what's going on in, in, in their personal life, let alone, and all of them ignore everything else, right? right. Like no war, no 9-11. You can't even talk about the things that are happening because it's mm. all kind of like focused in on yourself. Um, so it ends up kind of being about... Yeah, it's funny how the first 
the first Bush term was so marked by that, wasn't it? Like, yeah, not and not even I don't necessarily like I think a lot of people obviously like the Dixie Chicks thing is the famous example of like you can't talk about it or else you'll get in trouble. (laughs) But like, I don't even think it was about that. I think it really was so much of this was about like the emotional response to like how unhinged the world felt for a little while where like. Yeah, like I think that so much of it is just about like ignoring and specifically like because I think a lot of people see like American Idiot as this like this like first kind of like snap into like, oh, the mainstream media, like, you know, musicians like artists can actually comment on what's happening. And sure, people forget that American Idiot was second term Bush. He'd already been <laughs> yeah, reelected four years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was like, there was definitely like the punk voter thing and whatever, like during the reelection sure. campaign. But like that first term was pretty fucking apolitical. Yeah, I mean, there was a there was one of the biggest like reactions. I mean, there was like this huge like nationwide protest against going to war in Iraq. Yeah, but it was like not covered by the media, and so it doesn't exist. Yeah, like, I mean, people it was on kind the of news and whatever, but like, but yeah, like forget- movies, like music stuff, like didn't really right didn't engage with it because it was so new and happening and fraught um and we were in this new era where like you movies were so far behind the commentary like now something happens the next year or the year after you've got the comey letter and whatever (laughs) right exactly or something (laughs) what's that movie called the comey no i don't remember I, I the one with Trump the and, Comey yeah, movie yeah, yeah yeah the Comey movie uh but like or COVID happens and then it's like the next year stuff about oh COVID happens. but you know like this was like you had to be in the system so like you don't get anybody commenting on it it just felt wrong to even talk about yeah so the, this dark underlying vibration throughout all of this movie where it's just like let's just try and focus on like having a life like living in the moment and being with someone right and they can't even do it half the time uh it's really interesting really fascinating why this exists and why this resonated with people because i don't think that was wes anderson made this before 9-11 i mean Bef- he was making this before 9-11 everything was locked it was in the can it was done it was yeah. you know they were getting they were probably showing it to critics already on 9-11 right um and i think I think that this movie was more about like creating a New Yorker story. Like, you know, like let's, yes. let's make a story that is like something that would be, I read in the New Yorker. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it resonated with people because they're not explicitly rich, but they have this feeling like they can't be with each other. Yeah. And I think there's something really to that, that, a lot of critics were like, this feels so stilted and weird and we're, we're expecting movies to be like bombastic and passionate and doing it this way, I think resonated with a lot of millennials who were teenagers at the time and just felt like there was bubbles around everybody. Right. And I think that's why they kept doing it. It was just massively popular and a cult hit. Uh, and, uh, and we're going to see a decade just based off of this one movie yeah it's wild and folks at home if you've never seen this i really really can't recommend it more like not just as a movie which i i definitely recommend it as a movie additionally it's a great movie yeah. but i think like if you've never seen it like you are going to be so floored by <laughs> how much like how much the aesthetic 
how much of the aesthetic of this movie you see everywhere in your life yeah and how much of it like is just books out there now like books go to any like go to mast books go to like any of the sort of like independent bookstores in manhattan go to strand mm. you know like every fucking book cover looks like this movie yeah like not not the books covers in the movie the movie yeah <laughs> like still 20 years on mm-hmm. um like it, it, he, he just created such a specific thing. Yeah. I mean, I was joking about it earlier, but I'm dead fucking serious. Go to an anthropology and everything in there is, is Wes Anderson, <laughs> like, and, and specifically this, this movie of Wes Anderson, like, yeah. and, and you have to understand that this did not exist before this. Well, I was, uh, and I was, I was trying to see, I was like watching this movie and I was like, it was so singular and so specific. I was like, he must've been taking from something. And I'm sure he was, I mean, he was taking from influences, but like, I mean, not really though. I mean, like, it just is like even the Futura, like the, the font, the Mm -hmm. use of Futura, just like all caps Futura all the time. I don't know where that came from. Like he's sort of like specifically using it, but it's like, you can't go to the seventies New Yorker and be like, there it is. It's not that it's something else. Like, and he just like extrapolated these things to, make a completely different dream world um that just like became american like popular culture it's crazy it's crazy it's nuts what a flick what a flick (laughs) what a great movie good start to this highly wreck i mean i i was i was like oh we'll get to talk about as i texted you today i was like i'm so excited for this because i was not expecting it to be this pointed and have so many thoughts about it yeah so yeah, I'm really excited about this series. Uh, we highly recommend this movie. Of course. Uh, uh, this series is called The Tweet Thousands. The Tweet Thousands, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it begins here, and next week we are doing... Uh, uh, I thought you'd have uh, it in your uh, head. Uh, 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 next week uh, we will continue The Tweet Thousands with a movie... A that Ghost Jeremy, World. With Ghost World, which... Uh, also 2001. Also 2001. Um definitely it's interesting because it won't really be um inspired by this movie and it's based off of a comic but i think even more so than this movie will have political undertones that we were talking about in in this one have you seen ghost world i've never seen it fully i've seen like bits of it so this is the one you haven't seen and i haven't seen elizabeth town um oh this came out before oh i put them in the wrong order it's okay this was really important. This was a way with. better start. We yeah. should not have started on Ghost World, but we I will have a lot to say about it, I think. So tune in next week to the, the Twee Thousands, uh, our cartography of this micro genre. Our salute to Indie Rock. <laughs> we salute you, Indie Rock. <laughs> um, thanks so much for listening. This has been Generation Loss. If you'd like to hear more of our show, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash generation loss where we are currently ranking every single movie we've ever watched on the show. It's a fun time going through it and sort of what we think the show is about and why we're doing it. Um, it's a great time. Uh, you can also hang out with us in the discord if you do that, uh, which we also hang out in and we are posting the standings and we'll be posting more about the, the twee thousands uh, there too. So hang out with us there, patreon.com slash generation loss. Also follow us at Gen Loss Pod on Twitter. Follow us individually from there. And until next time. That's movies. That's movies. Check it out.